Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, hey. Are you ready for some football? We're ready for some football, baby. Hey, Welcome to the FTN Datacast, the fantasy football podcast where data drives the discussion. Here are your hosts, Adam Pfeiffer and Tyler Lochner. Welcome back, everybody. FTN Datacast, week number nine. Adam Pfeiffer here with the game-by-game breakdown for week number nine. Coming off a Thursday night game that was a lot closer than people probably expected between the Eagles and Texans. Had the World Series Game 5. Didn't exactly go Philadelphia's way. But, hey, their football team's 8-0. They're still in that World Series. So, um, this week has been interesting before we get started. Uh, so, I do the game-by-game article every single week at FTN Fantasy. Totally free to read. And it's usually up every Thursday afternoon. I get a lot of my research done late Sunday night, Monday and then start really writing the article Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Um, but as I'm starting to work Tuesday afternoon, I get the most random food poisoning and just couldn't get out of bed. I'm not going to go into the details because it's not, not pleasant. But that's the reason why the game-by-game article this week was a little bit different. The 1 o'clock games were still up by Thursday. But the 4 o'clock games and the primetime games, Monday and Sunday night, went up a little bit later. So apologies about that. But hey, article's still there. Totally free to read. So make sure you check that out. And of course, pair it with this game-by-game uh, podcast episode, which we will get into right now. Um, a lot of teams on by in week number nine. Six teams on by. Cleveland, Dallas, Denver, the Giants, Pittsburgh, and San Francisco all off. So a lot of decisions to make. Plus, there's a lot of injuries. Let's get right to it, starting with the Chargers and Falcons. And this game, very interesting, right? Mike Williams, going to be out for the next couple weeks. Keenan Allen, who made his return in week number seven, was, was as expected. He was limited, right? He played in that game. He played, what, 30% of the snaps, hardly played in the second half. And you're thinking, okay. Chargers have their bye in week eight. He'll get fully healthy and he'll be good to go. Apparently not. The hamstring injury has not gotten better for Keenan Allen. It's actually gotten worse. He's said that he's not going to play until it's 100%. So he's most likely going to be out this game. Already know Mike Williams. So, yeah, I mean, Justin Herbert, who it's been a little bit frustrating 
right? I mean, right now, since week three, is the quarterback 20 in fantasy, averaging 15.3 fantasy points per game. The offensive line has struggled with injuries. Rashawn Slater's been out. Uh, Corey Lindsley's missed some time. And as a result, Herbert's been under pressure on about 36% of his dropbacks, 10th highest rate in football. Luckily, the Falcons, this, this, this defense he's facing this week in Atlanta, lowest pressure rate in the NFL at 11.5%. And that's good because Herbert, when he gets a clean pocket, surprise, surprise, he's good. He's completing 72% of his passes, 10 touchdowns. But yeah, I mean, not having Mike Williams or Keenan Allen definitely hurts. You're going to have a starting receiver room, trio, what what have you, you know, of Joshua Palmer, DeAndre Carter. The matchup is still good enough for him to get it done without those receivers. Atlanta, third most fantasy points per game allowed to quarterbacks, second most um, points, plays, and most yards per drive allowed in the NFL. So, like... Assuming Keenan Allen's out, I still have Herbert as like a top seven or eight quarterback. The matchup is just too good. But like if you decided to start Aaron Rodgers against Detroit, Trevor Lawrence, maybe even Mariota that was out of this game. Like I personally wouldn't do it, but I, I totally get it. I just think the matchup is too good. There's no pass rush from Atlanta. Their secondary is depleted. They had to, they had to go trade for Rashad Fenton. Uh, before the deadline, because Casey Hayward's on IR, AJ Terrell's out. So, like, I'm tempering expectations a little bit, but, like, it's still a great spot. And, like, Austin Eckler, Gerald Everett, Joshua Palmer, DeAndre Carter, like, that should still be enough for Herbert to get it done in this spot. So, I'm still starting him. Eckler popped up on the injury report on Thursday with, I believe, an oblique injury. I expect him to be fine, and you're obviously starting him. He's on pace to set the NFL record for receptions by a running back. Um, you know, he's been he had that stretch in weeks one, two, and three where he was bad and people were worried. And then since week four, he's the RB1 in fantasy, 29 points per game. First among running backs in targets, receptions, and third in receiving yards in that span. Eckler's amazing, you're starting him. With Mike Williams out and Keenan Allen expected to be out. I mean, Joshua Palmer has low-end wide receiver two upside here. Atlanta allows the most fantasy points per game to receivers this season. I mean, Palmer's going to see eight to ten targets most likely. We've seen him be good in a lot of spots over the past year or so where one of Williams or Allen have been out, and now it looks like both are going to be out. So he's a he's in that like wide receiver 25 to 27 range for me, I believe, when I last looked. And then DeAndre Carter is a viable wide receiver three slash flex play. I'm starting him in a couple leagues this week. Um, you know, especially with six teams on a bye, he's going to be the full-time slot receiver against a Falcons team that struggled against receivers in general, struggled against, uh, slot receivers. And yes, Josh Palmer, DeAndre Carter, they're not anywhere close to, you know, great receivers, but since week six, Atlanta has been awful against wideouts. You look at the production, Brandon Ayuk, eight for 83 and two touchdowns. He was the wide receiver four. Tyler Boyd, eight for 155 and a touchdown. He was the wide receiver two. In that same game, Jamar Chase went for eight for 130 and two wide receiver one. And then just last week, DJ Moore got them for six for 152 and a touchdown. He was the wide receiver five. At tight end, Gerald Everett, he's not played 60% of the snaps since week five. The return of Donald Parham has actually hurt him. But we did see Parham miss last week's game with a concussion. Like, he, like Everett got nine targets last week, which is great, but it did come in a game where Williams left, Allen was limited, Parham didn't play, but now you have Williams out, Allen out. So 
Everett should see seven, eight targets against a Falcons team that allows the fourth most fantasy points, third most receiving yards, second most receptions, and the most targets per game to opposing tight ends. So Everett is pretty much a must-start tight end right now and probably going forward until this this offense gets healthy, on uh, at least at receiver. For the Falcons, I, I'm not entirely sure how Marcus Mariota keeps getting away with this, but he's doing it. I mean... Fourth among all fantasy quarterbacks and fantasy points per drop back at 0.64 behind Hertz, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen. Coming off a game where he threw for 253 yards and three touchdowns on just 28 passing attempts. Those 28 attempts were actually the second most he's had in a game this season. Like his 5.6% passing touchdown rate is the sixth highest in the league ahead of Jalen Hurts, Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins, Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray. However, he's 24th in passing attempts. Atlanta's 43% passing rate in neutral game scripts is the lowest rate in football. Like, I don't expect this to continue, but the floor is pretty solid because Mariota's rushed for at least 30 yards in five different games this season. And the matchup's really good. Like, the Falcons are facing a Chargers pass defense that's struggling right now. They allow the fifth highest passing touchdown rate at 5.5%, six most points per drive at 2.3, and opposing offenses are scoring points on 43% of drives against them. It's the fourth highest rate in the NFL. They've also struggled to defend play action, allowing the sixth highest completion rate at 74% and the most yards per attempt at 9.9. And that's great for Marcus Mariota, who's dropping back to pass. You know, 48% of his dropbacks come off play action. That's the highest rate in the NFL. So I have Mariota just outside my top 12 quarterbacks. I'm still expecting regression to hit and him, and for him not to be this efficient on a per, you know, on a per dropback basis. But I'm I'm still going to him in this spot. I like it a lot. For the backfield, if Cordero Patterson's back and it, he could be back, the matchup's great for him. I just don't know how much he's going to play. Right? He's been out for a while. If he plays, though, he's, he's like a top 25 running back for me. The Chargers' run defense is awful. They allow the second most yards before contact per rush at 2.89 and the second most fantasy points per game to opposing backfields. If Patterson doesn't play, Tyler Algier remains a viable flex play again. He didn't do much on the ground last week, but he had a 25-yard receiving touchdown. He's averaging 5.2 touches per game over his last four. He's played at least 57% of the snaps in each of the last four games, and he's played at 60% of the snaps in each of the last two games. So he'd be the, the Falcons running back to play. He'd be a viable flex play. You could even look to Caleb Huntley in deep leagues. He actually led the team with 16 carries for 91 yards last week. We've seen him be the goal line back many times in this offense during this last couple weeks. So we'll see, though, if Patterson's back. Uh, Drake London, again, you still can't really start him. I mean, since week four, he has 14 catches for 132 yards and zero touchdowns on 24 targets total. Like, yes, he played 88% of the snaps and he ran around on over 90% of dropbacks, but like, they're not throwing the ball enough. Kyle Pitts is getting more involved and there's just not enough volume for two pass catchers to be really good in fantasy. So he's a low end wide receiver three with a frightening, frighteningly low floor. Uh, Kyle Pitts, so good to see him have his best game of the season last week, catching five of a season high nine targets for 80 yards and a touchdown. It was a really well-designed play for the touchdown too. He looked like he was run blocking. It was a play action pass. And then Pitts kind of broke off the linebacker, ran a quick slant and scored. He ran around in over 87% of dropbacks, played 75% of the snaps. Like, he's definitely going to continue to have some really, really disappointing games 
But there's also going to be games like this where Arthur Smith and the Falcons, remember, they have one of the more talented players in football on their offense, and they utilize them. Um, good matchup here for Pitts. Chargers allow the fourth most receiving yards per game to opposing tight ends. He's still a top 10 tight end. Um, just know that the floor isn't massive in this offense right now. All right, let's move on to the Carolina Panthers at the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, we're keeping an eye on Chuba Hubbard, who missed last week's game. Donta Foreman was the clear lead back for the Panthers. And then for Cincinnati, uh, Chidobe Wuzier, their top defensive back, torn ACL. He's out for the rest of the season. So a huge loss for them. Let's start with the Bengals, though. Joe Burrow and Cincinnati's offense was, was awful last week. I mean, really didn't do anything till the second half. Burrow salvaged his day with some garbage time. But, um, yeah, I mean, the offensive line's a major concern right now. Look at the games where Joe Burrow's had his best performances this year. They've come against defenses that struggle to get after opposing quarterbacks, right? Atlanta, the Jets, New Orleans. But then he's faced teams like Dallas, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Cleveland that can get after the quarterback. Carolina right now is 22nd in pressure rate, so it's not a bad matchup. I just have a little bit of, you know, my expectations are a little bit lowered with no Jamar Chase right now behind this offensive line. Still starting Burrow as like a top 10 quarterback. Um, but the upside's probably not going to be what we saw, you know, in the Atlanta and in the New Orleans games earlier on. Week eight was brutal for Joe Mixon. 59 total yards on 15 touches. He also salvaged his day just by being, you know, on the field for PPR formats. He caught seven passes, was targeted nine times. Um, again, he still caught at least three passes in every game this season. So that's great. And when we continue to see teams go cover two against the Bengals, that leads to a lot of checkdowns from Joe Mixon. The efficiency has been bad though, right? The Bengals, uh, fourth lowest yards before contact per rush in the league at 1.65. Mixon's averaging four yards per touch. That's outside the top 50 running backs, but you can't bench anybody with this kind of volume. Um, and especially in the passing game with no Jamar chase, a lot of cover two. Um, Carolina, like you can run on them. 10th most rushing yards per game allowed this season at 126.6. And Mixon still leads the entire NFL with 12 carries from inside the five-yard line. Uh, T. Higgins, again, not doing much until that 41-yard touchdown late in the game. Again, he still remains a must-start wide receiver. He's had at least 90 yards or a touchdown in all but one full game he's played in this season. Um... He probably avoids J.C. Horn for much of this game because Higgins lines up on the right side of the formation more often. And J.C. Horn really hasn't shadowed this season. It's only been twice, and it's been on less than half of the routes in both those games. So you're starting Higgins. I'm still starting Tyler Boyd as a very strong wide receiver three. Scored a touchdown last week. There will be brighter days ahead for the Bengals offense. Um, like the five targets weren't great, but like the Cincinnati offense just couldn't stay on the field. So the floor and ceiling are both raised for Boyd with Chase inactive. And then Hayden Hurst remains in that like tight end 10 to 12 range for me. Like in a game where the Bengals offense is a train wreck, Hurst still caught four for 42. Like you'll take that floor for a lot of tight ends. Um, and Hurst second among all tight ends and routes run this season. So he's on the field a lot. It's really all you can ask for. For the Panthers, how about PJ Walker? I mean, that 62 yard touchdown to DJ Moore last week was legitimately unquestioned the best throw of the season by anybody. It was incredible. Uh, after that week, that the, the first start of the season for Walker a few weeks back where he had like an eight out under one, we've seen him now since week six. He's been, he's third among all quarterbacks in air yards over the last two weeks, I should say. And he's second in eight out at 11.1. 
So I'm not really looking to start P.J. Walker, but it's great to see for this Carolina offense. For the backfield, Dante Foreman was incredible last week. He was the lead running back with Chuba Hubbard out. Um, 24, 26 carries for 118 yards and three touchdowns. He played 68% of the snaps, handled 26 of 34 running back touches, and had three carries from inside the five-yard line, four six missed tackles. If Chuba Hubbard plays, I expect it to be like 60-40 in favor of Foreman. So I'm still looking at him as like a low-end RB2. But if Hubbard were to miss this game, Foreman would be a really strong RB2. Like I'd, con- I'd consider playing him over like Leonard Fournette. Definitely over DeAndre Swift. So you like that. Um, you know, we have to remember though, like back in week seven, Hubbard was the lead back against Tampa Bay. Like he got, he had the ankle injury early in the fourth quarter. And that's when Foreman really took took over. He had 11 of his 15 carries in the fourth quarter. But again, after watching what he just did last week, it's hard to envision a scenario where they don't at least give him like 50, 60% of the work. So um, he definitely takes a hit if Chuba plays, but I'm I'm probably still starting him regardless after last week. And then DJ Moore, I mean, the last couple weeks, he's been posting the, the numbers we've been hoping for. Um, six for 152 in a score last week. 11 targets led the team. 30% target share. Over the last three weeks alongside PJ Walker, he's seen target shares of 33.5, 48, and 30%. While his 40% target share during that span leads the NFL, the last three weeks, he's also the wide receiver nine in fantasy. He's fifth in targets, 10th in receptions, and first in end zone targets. And now he faces a Minnesota or a Cincinnati defense, rather, that just allowed Amari Cooper and Donovan Peoples-Jones to both eclipse 80 receiving yards last week. And again, no Chidobe Awuzie. So he's creeping towards wide receiver two status, believe it or not. Keep an eye on Terrace Marshall, too, by the way. Like, I'm not starting him, most likely, unless I'm in a deep league. But with Robbie Anderson gone and McCaffrey gone, the second-year receiver out of LSU is finally getting an opportunity. Uh, last week, he caught four passes for 87 yards. He played 74 of 80 snaps and ran around on 95% of dropbacks. He also had a bunch of designed fades thrown his way in the end zone. He had three end zone targets tied for the most among all uh, wide receivers in Week 8. So keep an eye on Terrace Marshall. Dolphins at Bears up next. Um, Justin Fields, since week five, he's the quarterback two in fantasy, averaging 22 fantasy points per game and 0.68 fantasy points per drop back. Again, coming off a low volume passing game once again, but he was efficient. Career high, 74% completion rate, 151 yards and two touchdowns. He's not rushed for 60 yards. He also rushed for 60 yards and a touchdown in that game, giving him two consecutive games of the rushing touchdown. Again, the Bears continue to just not care about the game script, and and they'll still run the football. But, I mean, look, he is second among all quarterbacks in carries per game with 9.5, red zone carries per game at 2.0, rushing yards per game at 53, and rushing touchdowns with three. So that floor has been great. Now he gets Chase Claypool added, which can only help this passing game. And he's facing a Miami defense that's allowed the seventh most fantasy points per game to quarterbacks and the seventh most rushing yards per game to the position at 24. So Fields... Kind of on that borderline QB1 range for me this weekend. Miami's, they did add Bradley Chubb, which is going to help the pass rush, but I'm not overly overly concerned with the secondary right now. A couple weeks ago, we saw head coach Matt Eberflus say that the Bears would use a high-hand approach at running back, and that's kind of been the case, right? In week seven, Montgomery started the game, and the rotation was the same as it's been, right? 
Montgomery plays two drives. Herbert plays two, a drive and then back to Montgomery. And that was the case. But we did see Herbert actually start the second half of that game. Had 12 carries. Montgomery's 15. Last week, the rotation was fairly similar. But Herbert's snap share actually dropped from 41% to 28% this past weekend. But he also saw 16 carries. Montgomery's 15. And when he's on the field, he's been good. He's been efficient. He's been better than Montgomery. Um, fourth in yards after contact per rush this season, fifth in runs of 10 plus yards and 11th in runs of 15 plus yards for Herbert, despite mostly being the second string running back. Uh, but because Chicago is running the ball so much, regardless of game script, there's really enough for Herbert to be considered a, a flex play, whether Montgomery is active or not. Now the matchup against Miami is not easy. 23% of the runs against the Dolphins this year have been stuffed at or behind the line of scrimmage. Second highest rate in football. But Montgomery, he's gotten 15 touches each of the last couple weeks. Should be in line for 15, 16, 17 again. Herbert should probably see like 10 to 14, somewhere in that range. So they're both still firmly in play. At wide receiver, it's interesting to see what's going to happen with Darnell Mooney. He has been dominating this team in targets. He has the 11th highest target share at 28.5% and the 4th highest air yard share at 41%. But now we'll have more competition for targets with Chase Claypool there. Mooney had already been seeing an uptick in usage from the slot this season, going from 44% in 2021 to just under 60% this season. Now, of course, we did see Chase Claypool primarily playing out of the slot with the Steelers, playing in the slot 80% of the time, one of the highest rates in football. But, like, I think that was more so to do with the fact that Deontay plays out wide, George Pickens plays out wide, so Claypool just had to play in the slot. Um... I don't know how involved Claypool is in his first game with the new team. Matchup is okay. It's fine. Mooney's still a low-end wide receiver three. The floor has been better, right? He's had at least 50 receiving yards in each of the last five games. We'll just see what the impact Chase Claypool has on this offense is. For Miami, Chase, uh, two attack of Iloa, rather, coming off a pretty flawless game against the Detroit Lions completing 29 of 36 passes for 382 yards and three touchdowns. This offense is great. Mike McDaniels has been awesome for him. Mike McDaniels' offense has been awesome for him. 10.8% uh, of Tua's passing attempts this season, according to next-gen stats, have been into tight windows. It's the fifth lowest rate in the league. Last year, that number was at 19.3%, the highest rate in the league. So adding Tyreek Hill, leading the NFL in pre-snap motion, scheming targets in creative ways for your best players. It's all been great for Tua. Chicago's pass defense does look good, but like they've faced Carson Wentz and Daniel Jones, Aaron Rodgers, Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi, Davis Mills. And when they faced above average quarterbacks for fantasy, they allowed both Dak Prescott and uh, Kirk Cousins to finish as top five fantasy quarterbacks. Uh, they also have traded Robert Quinn and Roquan Smith from the defense the last couple weeks. So, Tua remains a low-end quarterback one for me. You're obviously starting Tyreek Hill. It's been insane what he's doing. Um, Double-digit targets now for Tyreek Hill in every game he's played alongside Tua and all but one game this season. He has four different games this season already with 150-plus receiving yards. He's on pace to actually pass Cooper Cup's receiving yards uh, number from last season. No player has been targeted on a higher percentage of the routes than Tyreek Hill at 35%. He's amazing. You're starting him. You're starting, you're starting Jalen Waddle. Um, 
Tyreek Hill also 41 first read targets, the most in the NFL, according to FTN Fantasy. Raheem Mostert's still a, a, you know, a mid-range RB2. I know the team just traded for Jeff Wilson, who theoretically could probably pick up this system very easily. He spent time in the same system with Mike McDaniel when he was the run game coordinator for San Francisco a couple years ago, or the last couple years. Matchup is solid for uh, Mostert. You know, Miami got down early in that game, so they were actually throwing a lot, but still had 15 touches. He's averaging 17.2 touches per game over his last five. And the Bears, I mean, no Roquan Smith in the middle of that field. They've been a run funnel. 45% of the yardage against the Bears has come on the ground, the second highest rate in football. And 64% of the touchdowns against the Bears have come via the run. It's the highest rate in football. We just saw what Tony Pollard did to this defense. 131 yards and three touchdowns on 14 carries. So, yeah, Mostert, still a really strong start. We'll see what impact uh, Wilson has going forward. Finally, Mike Jasicki, like, I think he could still be a trap, right? He scored last week, but with Durham Smythe at full strength, Jasicki's playing time went down 46% of the snaps on Sunday. That was his lowest snap share in a game since week four, and he only ran a route on 23 of 40, uh, 40 dropbacks. Both Smythe and Jasicki played 31 snaps, so... Like, Jasicki's still viable. He's not like tight end 15 range for me. But, like, if you can possibly trade him for something right now, for somebody that's desperate tight end, I would definitely look to do that. Green Bay at Detroit. Um, Jared Goff got back on track last week after consecutive games without scoring. He threw for 321 yards and a touchdown. 37 passing attempts for Goff. It was his fifth game this season with at least 35 passes because Detroit's defense just can't stop anybody right now. Um, I mean, I don't love him here. Like, you don't have TJ Hawkinson anymore. We'll talk about that in a minute. Green Bay's defense, especially against the pass, is good. I mean, they just limited Josh Allen to a 52% completion rate, 218 passing yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions last week. He's a middling quarterback, too, for me. The backfield, uh, I DeAndre Swift made his return last game. He did lead the team. Did play a healthy 55% of the snaps, but he only had five carries, did add five receptions and a receiving touchdown. After the game, like Dan Campbell said, Swift's still not 100% healthy, and that they probably gave him one too many carries. And like that's already a little bit concerning, but it's even more concerning when Dan Campbell says that they probably gave him one too many carries. And Swift only had five carries to start with. So, like, he was back practicing limited fashion on Thursday, trending towards playing again. But, like, the efficiency was bad, which is already alarming and probably tells us he's not healthy because he's been efficient when he's been on the field this season. And, like, you already know Jamal Williams is getting the goal line work. He's had 100% of the team's carries since at the uh, five yards on this year. He is... I believe second or first in carries inside the five. And I just don't think we're going to see the rest of the season. This DeAndre Swift we saw in week one where he saw 18 touches. Like he probably sees 10 to 12. And I think Jamal Williams probably out touches him and is definitely getting the goal line work. Um, So like it's tough to bench the upside of Swift. But man, like those those comments are pretty alarming. Like, 
you're obviously starting a lot of the waiver wire slash, you know, bench stashes after the draft that are panning out over him, right? Like guys like Travis Etienne, Ramondre Stevenson, Kenneth Walker. Um, you're starting all those running backs over him very easily. Probably Raheem, you know, definitely, no, definitely Raheem Mostert. Uh, the question becomes like when you get to the range of Devin Singletary, Michael Carter, an Atlanta running back, perhaps, um, the Chiefs running backs. Like that's when it gets to a point where you make a decision. The matchup's good. Green Bay's run defense is vulnerable. 14% of the carries against them have gone for 10 or more yards, the eighth highest rate in football. And 45% of the yardage against the Packers has come via the run, the third highest rate. But I'm definitely tempering expectations for Swift. Jamal Williams, though, is, is still in the RB2. Like, I'm ranking Williams over Swift. He's probably going to get 14, 15 touches. He's getting all the goal line work. He's facing his former team in a run defense that is struggling to stop the run. And the, you know, they might be without Devondre Campbell for this game. So we'll see how many touches Swift gets. But I'm, I'm definitely a little bit concerned after what we saw last week and what we heard from the coaching staff. Amon Ross St. Brown are starting, got back to double-digit targets last week, caught seven passes for 69 yards. Um, no Hawkinson. I mean, there's upside for 12 to 14 targets from Hawk, uh, from Swift or for Amon Ross, you're starting him. And then Hawkinson's gone. I, I, I don't think we're starting Brock Wright or James Mitchell in any leagues, but like value plays in DFS, take a shot on it, sure. Um, maybe you start like Khalif Raymond or Josh Reynolds. As a deep wide receiver three or flex play with Hawkinson out. But this offense might be just more solidified, right? The running backs. I'm going to say Brown. For Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers coming off four consecutive losses, which just sounds weird to say. Um, there's just no downfield passing game right now. Rodgers averaging 4.3 completed air yards per completion. Second lowest rate in the league. 24.8% of his passing attempts have come behind the line of scrimmage, the second highest rate in football. They're living off screens and quick passes off RPO. It's pretty obvious that Rodgers is not an elite fantasy quarterback anymore, but that doesn't mean he can't have an elite fantasy performance, especially against the Lions, who are allowing the most points per drive, the second most yards per drive, and the fifth most plays per drive. Uh, opposing offenses scoring points on 47.3% of drives against the Lions, the highest rate in football. Detroit also allowing the most yards per, uh, per pass attempt at 8.4 and the highest eight out at 9.3. So Rodgers is like a top 12 quarterback for me. The matchup's just too good. Matchup is also too good for Aaron Jones, who's finally seen the usage we've been hoping for since week seven. Jones, 20.4 touches per game, 15 targets in that span, 13 receptions, the uptick in usage in the passing game is what's going to push Jones back into that top 10 status among running backs. And he's played 74% and 67% of the snaps the last two weeks. He's a must-start running back. Um, AJ Dillon, the usage has been down. The playing time has been down lately, but he did have 11 touches last week. Considering how bad the Lions defense is, especially against the run, he's still a viable flex play. Alan Lazard missed week eight with a shoulder injury, but he has been practicing to start the week. So if he's active... I'm starting him as an easy top 30 receiver. He's had at least 50 yards or a touchdown in every game this season. And he's seen at least six targets in each of the last five. He's a clear top target for uh, Aaron Rodgers right now, especially in the red zone. If he's out again, 
you can go back to Romeo Dobbs as a flex player, wide receiver three in deeper leagues. He's the one that's getting downfield targets from this offense when they do take shots. And the Lions are allowing 11.7 yards per completion, the second highest mark in the NFL. Finally, Robert Tunyon. He's been tough to get right, but the snaps are trending in the right direction. He's played 63, 56, and then a season high 74% of the snaps the last three weeks. He ran around on 69% of dropbacks. He's getting consistent targets the last couple weeks. And if it weren't for an offensive pass interference penalty, he would have scored last week. So he's a he's a borderline tight end one for me as well. Las Vegas at Jacksonville. We'll see if Darren Waller plays. Missed the last two games of the hamstring injury. Uh, Trevor Lawrence for Jacksonville. He has been all over the place. Last two weeks, Lawrence has completed 40 of 74 passes for 443 yards and one touchdown. He's been bad. He scored one or uh, zero touchdowns in four different games this season, and he's continued to struggle in the red zone. He's been really bad. A lot of bad, untimely turnovers. Um, You know, Trevor Lawrence completing 45% of his passes from inside the 10-yard line and just 44% of his passes from inside the red zone, the sixth lowest rate in the league. Maybe this is the matchup he needs, though. The Raiders, they are awful in the red zone on defense. They're allowing opponents to score touchdowns on 17 of 23 red zone trips this season. That 74% success rate is the second worst in the NFL. Raiders also been awful on third down, allowing opponents to score, uh, convert 46% of the time, the fourth lowest or fourth worst rate in football. And all but one quarterback this season has finished as a top 12 quarterback against the Raiders. They're also allowing the second most fantasy points per game to quarterbacks. So I feel pretty good about starting Lawrence this week. I'd start him over Brady. I might start him over Herbert if Keenan Allen sits. I haven't really decided yet. Um, so yeah, Travis Etienne, obviously a must start running back in his first game as the unquestioned RB one Etienne was a million, was amazing. 156 yards and a touchdown on 24 carries. He handled 27 of the 34 running back touches for Jacksonville, played 79% of the snaps, played all eight snaps at the goal line and ran around on 66% of dropbacks. It's elite usage. He's been so efficient this season. Despite ranking just 19th in carries, Etienne is 11th in missed tackles forced, 10th in runs of 10 plus yards, and 4th in runs of 15 plus yards, while his 6.7 yards per touch is the 4th best among all running backs. He's a borderline top 10 running back the rest of the season, and now he gets to match up with the Raiders who just allowed 3 touchdowns to Alvin Kamara last week, and are allowing the 4th most fantasy points, 2nd most targets, 2nd most receptions, and 2nd most uh, receiving yards per game to opposing running backs. Jacksonville's passing game struggled last week, so it's not surprising to see Christian Kirk, Marvin Jones, and Zay Jones all underwhelm. Kirk still had seven targets. Um, he's facing a Raiders defense that's been awful against slot receivers this year. They are just bottom five in most metrics, catch rate, yards per target, all that stuff. So I have him as a really strong wide receiver three this week. And you can take a shot on Zay Jones. The usage has mostly been good prior to last week. This is a, you know, perimeter wide receivers against the Broncos. It's just not a good spot. But now he faces a Raiders defense that's much, much friendlier. And very quietly, Zay Jones is still um, six in the NFL with eight end zone targets. So. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. 
Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Evan Ingram, by the way, he, he's a must-start tight end. He scored his first touchdown of the season last week, catching four passes for 55 yards. He has seen at least six targets, caught at least four passes, and had at least 40 receiving yards in each of the last four games. His 245 routes run is fourth among tight ends, and he set season highs in snap share each of the last two weeks at 85 and 93%. So he's building momentum, and now he gets uh, a Raiders defense that allows the third most fantasy points, third most touchdowns per game to opposing tight ends, and they've allowed six touchdowns to the position, the third most in football. The Raiders can't be worse than they were last week, right? Like, they didn't cross midfield to the two-minute warning of the fourth quarter. It was unbelievably bad. They just were complete no-shows. Um, Derek Carr is like a high-end quarterback, too, for me this week. It's a league-average mac- matchup against Jacksonville. They're like right in the middle of the pack in terms of fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. Um, but he's also struggling in the red zone. He has the worst... Completion rate in the red zone at 37.1% among all qualified quarterbacks. That's not going to get it done. Um, so he's a high-end quarterback two for me, not not so much a quarterback one. Josh Jacobs came back down to earth because, mostly because the Raiders offense was completely, completely inept. Um, but still, only Saquon Barkley sporting a higher opportunity to share than Josh Jacobs this year at 83%. He's averaging 20.4 touches per game. And Jacksonville, like, they've been bad against running backs lately. Miles Sanders, I mean, since week four, Miles Sanders, 134-2. and Gainwell also scored in that game. Damian Pierce, 99 in the touchdown. Deion Jackson, he was the RB1 in fantasy against them. Saquon Barkley, the RB13 with 110 rushing yards. Melvin Gordon had, you know, was the RB19 against them last week. So, uh, solid matchup for Josh Jacobs to get back on track. Same with Devontae Adams. He was dealing with the flu last week. Like, between that and the offense just not doing anything, Adams, you know, one catch for three yards. It was it was awful, but um, you know, you're still starting him. Jacksonville allows the second most passing touchdowns off deep balls in the NFL at four. Just hopefully he's you know fully healthy. Darren Waller, we'll see if he plays. He's been limited. Was also limited last week, but still didn't play with the hamstring. If he's out, you can go back to Foster Murrow as a really high end streamer. Last week with no Waller, he caught six of his nine targets for 31 yards, played 100% of the snaps, one week after playing 96% of the snaps, and he ran around a 93% of dropbacks. So that's elite usage uh, for Foster Moreau if Darren Waller is once again out. Uh, Buffalo Bills at New York Jets. Uh, this game's pretty easy. I'm not starting Zach Wilson. He was awful last week. The Bills, they might be missing Matt Milano. They might be missing Jordan Poyer, but in Buffalo... No Corey Davis. Like, I just, you're not starting Zach Wilson. 
The backfield's more interesting, right? James Robinson made his uh, Jets debut last week. Michael Carter got the start, played 56% of snaps, had 11 touches for 35 yards, loved the seven targets. Jets also had to throw a lot in the second half, so we saw Ty Johnson play a lot more than anybody would like to see. He played over 30% of the snaps in that game, over 80% of the third downs. Might be a similar game script this week with Buffalo as huge favorites, but we also expect Robinson to probably be more involved in his second week with the team. I have Carter as like a low upside flex play, probably gets 15 or so targets, or touches rather, targets would be amazing, Uh, and if he can get four, five, six targets, he'll be fine. Corey Davis didn't play last week, and he's probably not going to play this this week. That's notable because he's been the wide receiver one for Zach Wilson. Like that's been his go to target since last season. Um, with Davis out, Elijah Moore, who's been part of trade discussions and he's been unhappy with his role, he only played ten offensive snaps. Like Denzel Mims took Corey Davis's role, and then Garrett Wilson kind of moved all over the formation. He played eighty eight percent of snaps, ran around on ninety eight percent of the dropbacks. Played out wide around 69% of the time. Played in the slot plenty as well. And had a nice game. 115 yards on six receptions. He would be a wide receiver three for me. Not loving the upside against Buffalo. But with Davis out and Elijah Moore not really part of the offense right now. uh, Garrett Wilson should be lined for plenty of work. Especially with the Jets' huge uh, underdogs here. And then Tyler Conklin is probably viable. Look, the playing time had come down for a few weeks. But now over the last two games, he's played 75% of snaps. And I think a lot of it's because in games where the Jets have been able to run the football, and remember, they were running the ball a ton since Zach Wilson's debut, they've been having C.J. Uzama run block more, right? Like from weeks five to seven, Uzama was fourth among all tight ends with 73 run blocking snaps, which has them on the field more. But in games where the Jets have to throw more, we'll see more Conklin who was great last week, caught six passes for 79 yards and two touchdowns. The matchup's not great, but if the Bills are without Matt Milano, their splits against tight ends are completely different with him off the field. He's one of the best, maybe the best coverage linebacker in the NFL, converted safety. That would be massive. Uh, So I would feel pretty good about Conklin if Matt Milano's out. But like even with Corey Davis, probably not going to play and still not really sure what Elijah Moore's role is and the Jets as huge underdogs, I think Conklin's really, really viable. Josh Allen coming off his worst game of the season. I'll admittedly, it wasn't a good game from him. Like, the second half, he he got back to just kind of trying to force stuff that wasn't there, trying to make a bunch of plays out of nothing. It was his worst game. He didn't play well, especially in the second half, but he's still the QB1 in fantasy. You're starting Josh Allen. Really don't have much to say. You're starting Stephon Diggs. The backfield's interesting now, though, with Naheem Hines joining the, the Buffalo Bills. Unsure about what his role will be in week one. I think this is going to limit single, like Devin Singletary entering week nine, right? Like very, very, very quietly, fifth among all, fifth among all running backs in routes run, top 15 in targets. He's had an impact in the passing game. Now, we've seen the Bills look to add Chase Edmonds, J.D. McKissick, Christian McCaffrey. They added James Cook. So they made an effort to add some explosiveness at, at, you know, at running back, at least in the passing game. So, like, I expect Naeem Hines to play most third downs, especially third and longs, for the Bills once he's fully acclimated. But I also think he's going to play in the slot. 
You know, Jameson Crowder is on IR. Isaiah McKenzie's been very inconsistent. And Khalil Shakir's a rookie. Hines, you know, so far this season, he's played in the slot 21% of the time, the second highest rate among all running backs. He's been very efficient and very comfortable playing the slot. So I don't think Naeem Hines comes in and takes carries or, or, or anything like that from Singletary. But third downs, two-minute drill, yeah, he, he, he most likely will. He was, I mean, look, look, different team and everything, but he was taking Jonathan Taylor off the field on third down, third longs and two-minute drills for a while. So I still have, you know, Singletary as a, you know, high-end RB3, low-end RB2 in this spot, huge home favorites against the Jets, but know that his snap shares have gone way down in games the Bills win by a lot. In the four, five, uh, was the four close games they played in, 73%, 88%, 86%, and 75% of the snaps. But I think there's going to be times where Hines is in, you know, in the game, in the slot, and Singletary's still in the backfield. So it's definitely not like a, it's definitely a slight downgrade for Singletary. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not like freaking out over this move. Uh, Finally, Gabe Davis, like, I understand the ceiling is massive on a weekly basis, but I don't think he's a must start here. I mean, this Jets secondary led by Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed, like I think it's the second best duo at corner right now behind the Eagles. And like we know Davis has massive big play potential, right? He's third among all third among all receivers in yards per target at 13, first among all receivers in yards per reception at 26. But like Gardner is allowing they're both Gardner and Reed are both allowing 0.12 fantasy points per coverage route some of the best marks in football and Gardner is allowing 7.7 yards per catch the sixth lowest rate among all qualified defensive backs so like either way it's a tough matchup for Gabriel Davis whose floor is already pretty low as much as I love him so I have him outside my top 25 receivers this week I understand six teams are on by so it's tough to bench somebody with that type of upside but like Tyler Boyd, DJ Moore, um, Christian Kirk. Uh, they're all receivers I'd start over him. Josh Palmer is a close one. Josh Palmer is definitely a close one. Colts, Patriots. This game's pretty gross. Starting Ramondre Stevenson. We did see Damon Harris play more last week. In week seven, in his return, he only played 17% of snaps and had four touches. But last week, he played 41% of snaps and had 13 touches. Harris did actually start the game for the Patriots, but still, Stevenson played 63% of snaps, had 23 touches, 7 receptions, um, and Stevenson, as you'd expect, dominated third down and two-minute drill snaps. The Colts' run defense has been pretty strong, but they actually are starting to be really vulnerable to pass-catching running backs. They allow the 7th most receptions per game to opposing backfields and the 4th most receiving yards per game to running backs. And since week 4, Stevenson's been really involved in the passing game. Fourth among our running backs in target share during that span at 20%. So I'm still starting him very comfortably. And Harris, you know, maybe he sees 10, 14 touches in that range. He's a low upside flex. and He's pretty much going to have to score for you to feel good about it. Jacoby Myers, back-to-back games of touchdown for Jacoby Myers feels not possible, but here we are. He's the clear widest year one in New England. Had a 37.5% target share last week. He's being targeted on 26% of his routes so far this season. He's a high-end wide receiver three with a relatively high floor. 
For the Colts, the backfield, we have to keep an eye on this. Jonathan Taylor apparently aggravated his ankle injury last week. He did return to the game, but he hasn't practiced Wednesday or Thursday. With Naheem Hines in Buffalo, Deion Jackson would be a must-start running back and a borderline top 15 player if Taylor's rolled out. In his lone start this season, Jackson had 121 scrimmage yards and a touchdown on 22 touches, and that was while missing most of the fourth quarter in that game. Um, Patriots, 126 rushing yards per game allowed, 11th most in football. So pretty much whoever is starting a running back from this game between Deion Jackson and Jonathan Taylor is a must-start running back for me. I think it's that simple. At wide receiver, Michael Pittman, I mean, still led the team in targets in Sam Ellinger's first start. He had nine, 39% target share is good to see. Pittman has now seen at least nine targets in all but two games this season. He's more of a low-end wide receiver two right now, given the state of this offense. And Alec Pierce did have a 40-plus yard reception last week. The Patriots have also been really bad at limiting deep passing plays. We saw last week against the Jets. So, like, if I were to choose a second receiver from this team, it would be Alec Pierce, but uh, I don't feel great about it. Minnesota at Washington. Um, I mean, Taylor Heineke right now, he's he's averaging 19.2 fantasy points per game in two starts. Was really good last week. Um, he's been mostly conservative. He's 30th in ADOT and 29th in deep passing rate over his last two starts. But he's a viable streaming option and a viable two-quarterback uh you know, second quarterback in two quarterback leagues. Vikings, they are currently allowing the second most yards per pass attempt at 8.2. And they've been bad against play action, which has been a huge part of Heineke's um, game over the last couple weeks. The backfield's pretty messy right now, but J.D. McKissick has been practicing. If he's out, I think Gibson's the preferred play regardless, but definitely if McKissick's out. We've seen Gibson, you know, as a huge part of the passing in the last couple weeks. Um, Gibson also started at running back last week. Robinson only had eight touches after having 20 the previous week. I like, I don't love starting anybody from this backfield, but if I had to, it would definitely be Gibson. He's now had back to back games of the receiving touchdown. But if JD McKissick is out, yeah, that's great. That's great for Gibson. That's great for Gibson. Terry McLaurin, he was he was awesome last week. Caught six passes for 113 yards. Uh, you know, it's pretty clear where Taylor Heineke wants to go with the football right now. McLaurin, in his two starts alongside Heineke this season, 26% target share. He has eight targets in both games. He's now fourth in the NFL with 15 deep targets, while his two deep touchdown receptions are tied for the fifth most in football. 28% of his targets this season have come 20 yards or more down the field. The fifth highest rate among pass catchers with at least 20 targets. And now he faces a Minnesota defense that allows the second most yards per pass attempt. They do play a lot of zone defense. Um, that could also lead towards a good game from Curtis Samuel, who, again, playing in the slot 80% of the time or so, you know, operating in the middle of the field, that could benefit him. And we actually have seen him get more usage out of the backfield the last couple weeks, something that's kind of disappeared for a while. But he has nine carries over the last two weeks. He lined up in the backfield eight snaps during that span. And 
Minnesota's uh, slot defensive back, Shannon Sullivan, he's allowing 0.31 fantasy points per coverage route with an 80, 83% catch rate. And no player in football has allowed more receiving yards and slot coverage this season than Shannon Sullivan at 446. So McLaurin's a must-start receiver, and I still like Curtis Samuel quite a bit too. For the Vikings, I have Cousins as a low-end quarterback one. He's had a weird season. A lot of his underlying metrics are down, but he's still been good enough for fantasy. And Washington allows the fourth-highest passing touchdown rate at 5.6%, and the sixth-highest yards per pass attempt at 7.5. Dalvin Cook, the touchdowns are back. It's great to see. Coming off an awesome game where he had 111 yards and a score on 20 touches against the Cardinals. His snap share has been up the last couple weeks. We're seeing Alexander Madison play less on third downs, and we've seen Cook get more work in the passing game. So Cook, he's in line for 20 to 22 touches. He's obviously a must-start. Obviously, so is Justin Jefferson. And nothing's changed with Thielen. He's still a high-end wide receiver three. He's had at least seven targets in every game since week two. And, like, although he failed to score last week, like, six catches for 67 yards without scoring, he'll take that from Adam Thielen. It's, the floor is usually lower than that. TJ Hawkinson is now on the Minnesota Vikings. And with six teams on a bye and tight end already being a shallow position, it's tough to flat out sit Hawkinson. But we've seen a lot of examples already where players make their season or their debuts with their new teams the first week and are limited, right? We've seen it, and it's possible we see it here. So he's a low-end starter for me. You know, I'm... I think I would start like Robert Tunyon, definitely Evan Ingram, maybe Hayden Hurst, maybe probably Taysom Hill over Hawkinson this week. All right, moving on to the four o'clock games. We have Seattle and the Arizona Cardinals. Um, we'll keep an eye on James Conner. He has not played since week five. Maybe he returns to the lineup. Uh, Kyler Murray, though, coming off his best game of the season, throwing for 326 yards and three touchdowns. The Cardinals trailed for most of the game, so Murray had 44 passing attempts. You're starting Kyler Murray, but just like don't watch the first half of the game. It's been that way all year. This team is this team is incapable of starting off games well. It's unbelievable. Um unbelievable. Last time these teams played in week six, Kyler didn't have a touchdown, but he did rush for 100 yards. He also he also didn't have DeAndre Hopkins in that game. And while there's been very limited downfield passing game usage from Murray this year, he's had two games this season with at least seven yards per pass attempt. Every other game has been well under that. Those two games have coincidentally come since DeAndre Hopkins has been in the lineup. You know, Benjamin might be the lead back again for the Cardinals. We did see Darrell Williams return last week. Didn't have a huge impact on Benjamin. It was more so on... Keontae Ingram, who didn't play, um, but Benjamin still played 75% of snaps, had 13 touches. Again, the Cardinals were trailing for most of that game, but now Darrell Williams is on injured, uh, injured reserve. So if James Conner can't play, Benjamin should once again be in line for 15 plus touches against the Seattle run defense that allows the fifth most rushing yards per game, and only the Bears, Lions, and Browns have allowed more rushing touchdowns than the Seahawks this season. So... If it's Benjamin as the starting running back, 
he's a top 20 play. If Connor's active, he's a very risky RB2. DeAndre Hopkins has played in two games this season. 22 catches, 27 targets, 262 yards and touchdown. 37.5% target share is the second highest rate in football during that span behind only Tyree Kill. And he's being targeted on nearly 38% of his routes since week seven. We did see him not play really in the slot last week, which is really weird because it was great to see in week seven, his debut, where Hopkins played in the slot 43% of the time. That went down to 15% last week. I don't understand why Cliff Kingsbury refuses to move Hopkins around the formation. Regardless, he's getting all the targets no matter where he is. But like Seattle's been really good against perimeter receivers. Their boundary corners have been really good. Tariq Wollin's been great. Hopkins will get his, but like the matchup's definitely more favorable for slot receivers. So you'd like to see, you know, your head coach put your best player on offense in more positions to succeed. But regardless, Hopkins, top 10 receiver, probably a top five receiver, uh, five to seven for sure. Rondell Moore is actually still very much in play too. Like he caught seven of eight targets for 92 yards and a score last week. He didn't return to a full-time slot role. Was there about 52% of the time, but I was up from 17.6% in week seven. Remember week seven, AJ Green and Robbie Anderson hardly played. It was Dorch, Hopkins, and Rondell Moore. In games where Green or Robinson play more, that will push Rondell Moore to the slot more, which is beneficial for him. But Green and Robinson, like Robbie Anderson's not playing. Whether he's not up to speed with the offense or what, like he's barely played since joining this team. So if they run a lot more Greg Dorch in three wide sets, that's going to push more to the out wide, which will give him more upside, I would imagine, more downfield targets. But either way, he's still playing the slot at least half the time in this game. And that's a where you attack the Seattle defense. Um, so I, I like Ronald Moore as a, you know, Viable wide receiver three. And then tight end, like Zach Ertz has been targeted just nine times over the last two weeks since Hopkins has been back. He has a 12.5% target share in that span. And you look back to last season. In games he's played alongside Hopkins since joining the Cardinals, Ertz is only averaging four and a half targets, three receptions, and 36 receiving yards, and 8.8 PPR points per game. In the games without DeAndre Hopkins in that span, Nine targets, six receptions, 59 yards, and almost 14 fantasy points per game. I still have Ertz as a top 10 tight end. The usage in the red zone has been good. The matchup's great. Seattle allows the most fantasy points and receiving yards per game to opposing tight ends. But the floor is not as high as it was to start the season with Hopkins back. It's it, it's pretty obvious. For Seattle, Geno Smith, 23 of 34 passes for 212 and two scores last week. He has now had six multi-touchdown games this season. Again, we saw these teams play in week six. Nobody scored touchdowns. Geno didn't score. Kyler didn't score. Arizona did a good job, and they've done this for most of the season, of limiting deep passing plays. And we know they blitz a lot. They blitz Geno around 41% of the time in that game. And he averaged like 6.4 yards per pass attempt. Against the blitz... His yards per attempt dropped from 8.3 to 6.6 when he's blitzed. So we know the Cardinals, they blitz at the high, second highest rate in football at 37%. So I don't know if we see a lot of the downfield passing with Metcalf and Lockett. 
Um, but the pace in this game should be good, right? Arizona leads the league in pace. The Seahawks are top 12. That's good to see. Geno's still a high-end QB, too, just based off how well he's played, the offense. But um, the ceiling might be limited a bit here with the way the Cardinals are playing defense. Kenneth Walker, must-start running back, obviously. Um, in the three games since becoming the lead running back for Seattle, Walker's averaging 22 touches and 20 fantasy points per game. He is awesome. During that same span, he's, what, second among all running backs in missed tackles, forced, and seventh in yards after contact per attempt. He's starting Kenneth Walker. And you're probably still starting Metcalf and Lockett. It was really surprising that Metcalf played last week, but while he wasn't a full-time player, it was around like 63% of the snaps, still played enough to have five or six catches for 55 yards and a score. Again, Tempering expectations a bit with him and Lockett because of how this Cardinals defense has limited deep passing plays. Byron Murphy shadowed Metcalf on 45% of his routes when these teams last met. Um, but like Metcalf is still seeing so much usage in the red zone, right? He's seen 40.7% of Seattle's red zone targets. It's the highest rate in the NFL. Um, still gets a massive touch on upside. So he and Lockett are still both really solid wide receiver twos. Still with that ceiling, but I don't know if it's going to be realized. In this spot. And then a tight end. Again, I say it every week, but Will Disley and Noah Fan are essentially splitting the playing time for Seattle. If it was just one of these tight ends getting all the work, they'd be a top 12 tight end, especially in a matchup against the Cardinals, who allow the second most fantasy points, second most targets, and most receptions per game to opposing tight ends. Rams at Tampa Bay. Look, this game's easy. I'm going to be perfectly honest. I don't want to start Tom Brady, I don't want to start Matthew Stafford. I don't want to start any running back from the Rams, right? I like, like Matthew Stafford. He has more interceptions and touchdowns this season. He has had one or fewer touchdown passes in each of his last five games. Like I know Tampa Bay secondary is banged up right now, but there's just no way I can start Stafford or Brady. Like, Tampa Bay's talking about wanting to run the ball more. They already run the ball on first down enough. Like, Tua, without question. Gino, without question. Mariota, without question. Lawrence, without question. Justin Fields, without question. You know, like, they're, they're all easy starts over Brady and Stafford at this point. They probably have been. A lot of those, lot of those guys definitely have been. Um, for the backfields, like you're probably still starting Leonard Fournette, but like he's not an RB one for me anymore. Like the snap share is still solid, but he has 22 touches over the last two weeks total, and the efficiency's been awful. He's been under three yards per carry in all but two games this season. As Tampa Bay is generating 1.6 yards before contact per attempt, the second lowest rate in the league. These are the two worst teams in the NFL in terms of generating yards before contact. So like. Kenneth Walker, Dante Foreman, Eno Benjamin, like, yes, over Fournette very easily. Um, the only easy decisions in this game are you're starting Godwin, especially against a team that plays more zone than anybody in football, and he's going to start scoring. He's averaging 10.4 targets per game since making his uh, return. He just hasn't scored, and he will. And then Mike Evans, he has 26 targets the last two weeks. You're starting both of them, obviously. I think Kate Otten's a viable streaming play if, if Cameron breaks out. In the three starts he's had at tight end this season, 
Otten has played 94, 81, and 91% of snaps, and he's running around in 87% of dropbacks. And then obviously starting Cooper Cup as long as he's good to go. Tyler Higby, this is interesting. He has fallen off lately. Last two games, he has three catches for 22 yards. Because the Rams' offensive line is so bad, he's been he's been blocking more, right? You look at the week six to eight. Rams had a bye in week seven, so week six and eight. If you just take the those two weeks, week six and eight, no tight end in football is has played more pass blocking snaps than Tyler Higby, and he's twenty fifth among tight ends in routes run in that span. So what was making Higby such a great player in fantasy to start the season was the fact that he was playing 95% of snaps and he was running more routes than almost any tight end football. And he was getting a ton of highly converted short dot targets because the offensive line couldn't hold up. The matchup is good. Tampa Bay's line, the fifth most fantasy points, seventh most receiving yards, and fourth most receptions per game to tight ends. But if these routes don't come back up, like, he could be on fantasy benches before you know it. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Titans at Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, obviously a must-start. Last four games for Mahomes, he's averaging 325 passing yards and three touchdowns per game. Now he faces a Tennessee pass defense. Or that's a funnel, right? I mean, 74% of the yards against the Titans this year have come via the pass. That's the second-highest rate in the league. 87.5% of touchdowns against them have come via the pass. It's the highest rate in the league. Mahomes should smash once again here. The backfield is probably an avoid for me if I can help it. Like Isaiah Pacheco started the game when we last saw the Chiefs in week seven. But like McKinnon led the team with a 44% snap share. CEH played about 27% of snaps. That was a season low, but he did score a touchdown. McKinnon actually played more snaps at the goal line and in the two-minute drill. It's a mess. Tennessee's run defense has been very good. I'm avoiding it if I can. Starting Juju Smith-Schuster, who's been amazing the last two weeks. Uh, over 100 yards and a touchdown in both games. A lot of it's been after the catch, which I don't know how sustainable it is. But the matchups are so good. He's seen at least eight targets in all but one game this season. And the Titans allow the you know the, the sixth most fantasy points per game to wide receivers. They're awful. And you can take shots on MVS and Mikko Hardman here. Um, Hardman actually played 63% of snaps last week, his second highest of the season, actually led all Chiefs receivers. The rushing touchdowns, he had two rushing scores, that's not sustainable, but the Titans have been an awful defense against the deep ball. Bottom five in yards perception allowed to wide receivers as well. Um, So you can take shots on them as well, and of course you're starting Travis Kelsey. Derrick Henry's the only player I'm starting from the Titans. Keep an eye on this foot injury. And you don't love the fact that he's a huge underdog. That's not the game environment you want for Derrick Henry. But you're not you're not sitting him. Just simple as that. Final game of the week: Baltimore at the Saints on Monday. A lot of pieces of news here. Like the Ravens traded for Roquan Smith, but then they're dealing with injuries. Rashad Bateman's out for the rest of the season. Mark Andrews and Gus Edwards are questionable. They've not been practicing. Lamar Jackson pretty much didn't play with Bateman and Andrews last week. They combined to play, I think, 23 total snaps. And Jackson still had about 22 fantasy points. So you're still starting him regardless of who he's throwing the ball to. Um, The Saints allow the sixth lowest pressure rate in the NFL. 
and three of the last four quarterbacks to face him have been top 10 quarterbacks for fantasy. So he's starting Lamar. We'll probably see Kenny Drake if Gus Edwards can't play. 12 to 15 touches against the Saints run defense is not what it used to be. Still fine, but they're not the, the dominant unit they once were. So Kenny Drake might be in our lives as a flex play. Same with Devin Duvernay. Um, I mean, look, Devin Duvernay is obviously not on the level of Mike Evans, DeMar Chase, and Hopkins, but those three receivers have all had 100 yards against the Saints defense the last couple weeks, and they're still missing Marshawn Lattimore. So you could do a lot worse than Devin Duvernay as a flex or a wide receiver three. And then Mark Andrews, like if he doesn't play, I don't think I'll have Isaiah Likely outside my top 10 tight ends. We know how much the tight end is a focal point of this offense. And Likely was the lead pass catcher for Baltimore last week in Andrews' absence, catching six or seven targets for 77 yards and touchdown. It, it would be hard to put him outside my top 10 tight ends. The Saints, meanwhile, dealing with their own news and injury uh, situations. Michael Thomas was placed on season-ending IR. They're still missing Marshawn Lattimore in the secondary. But this is pretty easy. Like, Alvin Kamara's a must-start. Finally scored last week. Did it three times, by the way. And we've seen his usage be amazing. Um, He's averaging 8.2 targets and sporting a 21% target share. Since week three, which was Dalton's first start of the year, that 21% target share during that span, second among all running backs behind only Austin Eckler. Kamara's also played at least 70% of the snaps in each of his last five games. And with Mark Ingram banged up, that probably doesn't change anytime soon. Kamara's a must start. Crystal Lavi's a must start, especially with Thomas out. The combination of floor and ceiling is there for Olave. He's eighth among all, uh, he's eighth among receivers. In targets per out run at 28%, and first in air yards per out run at 4.3. That's among receivers at least 50 routes run, by the way. He's top 10 in uh, percentage of teams' air yards at 36%. He's a very, very solid wide receiver, too. And then with Mark Ingram sideline last for most of last week, the Saints essentially used Taysom Mill as their number two running back. He had 10 carries for 61 yards. He caught a pass. He attempted a pass. He played a season-high 36% of the snaps. And he was in the slot a season high eight times. The usage should still be strong enough for him to warrant top 12 uh, status among tight ends in fantasy, especially with all the injuries to the Saints offense right now. That will do it for us for week number nine. Appreciate everybody listening and reading all the content as always. We have a ton of great stuff over at FTN Fantasy, FTN Daily, and FTN Bets. Getting back in the swing for basketball as well, which has been fun. So make sure you check out all that content as well. And good luck in week number nine. Again, a lot of buys, a lot of injuries, a lot of lineup decisions. So check out the Discord. Get Sign up. You can get part of the Discord, which is always fun. Answering a lot of questions, having a lot of great discussions. And of course, you know, live streams, rankings, projections, tools, everything you need for every sport over at FTN Fantasy, FTN Daily, and FTN Bets. Have a great weekend. Best of luck in week nine. For Adam Pfeiffer, this has been the FTN Datacast. Peace out. For listening to the FTN Datacast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And follow the hosts on Twitter at AFIFER24 and at LochnerNFL.